You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45 today in your Bibles. If you need a Bible, we've got some guys coming down the aisle. They've got Bibles in their hands. Just flag them down. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, we certainly don't mind if you take this Bible and make it your own and uh, put your name in it and use it. On a daily basis, preferably. Great to see everybody. Good morning to you. And uh, let's open up with a word of prayer this morning and just ask the Lord to bless our time in his word as well. Dear Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask you to come and meet with us this morning. Lord Jesus, your word is powerful. It can transform lives because it is inspired by you. And Lord God, we believe in the power of your word here at Calvary Chapel. We believe that your word is without error in its original manuscripts, Lord. But we believe that more than that, that that you speak to us personally, individually through the power of the Holy Spirit as we study your word. Lord, help us. All of us just to get out of your way this morning. Lord, help us to denounce selfish lifestyles today. And Lord, help us to come into your presence sincerely, honestly, and with the desire to meet with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The message today is the cure for the disease. And I would ask that we read the passage first. If you're able to stand up this morning, would you go ahead and do that with me as we're going to read through the scriptures. Mark 1 verses 40 to 45 this morning. Mark records for us, now a leper came to him imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed, and he strictly warned him and sent him away at once, and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Verse 45, however, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places and they came to him from every direction. You can be seated. So Jesus the king is here. He didn't show up in the way that those with worldly wisdom, might have wanted him to show up, though. He didn't come with military might. He didn't come with economic weight. He didn't come with political strategies. Speaking of political strategies, you knew I had to bring it up, didn't you? Well, this week, I happened to flip on the television uh, looking for a, a quick movie to put on for my kids, and Lo and behold, it was right in the middle of the, 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 the Republican debate. And lo and behold, it was Donald Trump there on the camera calling one guy a liar and saying why we shouldn't vote for the other guy. It was a crazy, crazy scene. 
But it sure made me glad that Jesus didn't come like any of those men did. Amen? (laughs) I mean, can you imagine Jesus Christ fighting and struggling and vying for political power? But he didn't need to do that. He didn't feel the need to come in that way. He didn't come with that kind of a mindset. You see, he came on the scene in such a different way. Mark presents him to us as the suffering servant. He came not to lord it over others, not to grasp the reins of power by whatever means necessary, not to say pretty words and finagle things to win your vote, but Jesus came on the scene in a humble way as the servant of all. He came counting the cost and knowing that he was going to lay his life down. But before he ever got to the cross, he established a pattern in his life of laying his life down for those that were around him. He came as God in the flesh, experiencing life and temptation just the way that you do. He came and he was baptized in the Jordan River in the same water where thousands of other people were baptized and as they went down and came up in repentance and a desire to seek God, Jesus went down in the same water where their sins had been confessed and rose to seek the Lord and to, and to seek revival just like they did. He was also anointed by the Holy Spirit at his baptism through whom <clears throat> he was led into the desert and tempted. And he was thereafter anointed by the Spirit to perform many good works as a witness of who he really was. That's what Mark is presenting to us this morning in chapter one. It's a series of miracle stories that Mark is laying out for the reader so that you will understand that Jesus is no mere man, but he is the king and he is in control. Although his kingdom has not been set up physically here on the earth yet, it exists in the hearts of those of us who believe that he is the son of God. In verse 40, it says that now a leper came to him. Mark is continuing with another miracle story, but it's a transitional miracle story for several reasons. We'll look at those later. But he says, now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. We're introduced here to a man who is in a desperate plight. He's a leper. Now this word, For leper, it can refer to any number of different skin conditions, especially in the Old Testament. If you read Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, which we're studying on Wednesday nights, verse by verse, you'll know that leprosy was a generalized term that was applied to any number of skin conditions. These conditions are described in full there in those chapters in Leviticus, but they're given so that the priests could actually identify this disease in the congregation and be able to set those people apart that they might be ministered to and attended to in a different way. In ancient Israel, it's doubtful if the leprosy that they dealt with was the same as what we know as Hansen's disease or leprosy today. But in any case, we do know that it was a horrible affliction, both physically and socially. You see, if it were anything like the disease we know today, here's how it would have affected this man it would have began as small red spots on his skin. Those spots slowly get larger as time goes on and they turn to white. 
The skin begins to shine and has a sort of a scale-like appearance on it. As time goes on, the spots begin spreading until your whole body is covered. And then your hair begins to fall out, starting on top of your head and working its way down. Even your eyebrows are affected. Then your toenails and fingernails become loose, and they begin to rot in the skin, and they will begin to fall off. Then it moves to the joints of your fingers, the joints and toes of your fingers and toes, I'm sorry, the joints of your fingers and toes, they become affected. They begin to fester and can even fall off if they're not amputated first. The disease will eventually affect your gums and cause your teeth to fall out. It will continue to rot away the skin around your face and it will attack your nose and your eyes, causing them to rot as well. If not treated, you waste away until you die. As bad as that sounds, the worst part of contracting leprosy in ancient Israel may have been the social excommunication that you would experience. Because leprosy was considered by society in Jesus' times to be a death sentence and a direct judgment from God for sin, the leper was labeled unclean and basically forced to live in exile. The leper was responsible to make his presence known when he came out in public. And he was forced to cover his face and to, to cry out, unclean, unclean. And as he made his way through the crowds, it was customary in Jesus' time, according to the traditions of the rabbis, that everybody was to keep a six-foot different uh, distance from that man. One rabbi even bragged that he threw rocks at lepers to make sure that they stayed away from him. In the Old Testament, God used leprosy as an example of sin and what it would do to us. However, by the time that Jesus came on the scene of human history, the Israelites had taken some of the things that were laid out in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus, and they had taken them too far. See, instead of having compassion for these men and women and finding ways to help them, there's evidence that society basically believed two things about lepers in Jesus' time. One, they believed that a leper was nothing more than a walking dead man and therefore should be avoided and left to die. And secondly, society believed that that person deserved it because it was punishment from God. So you can see that there was a warped sense uh, in the society because they had taken God's laws and gone further than God intended with them Sad, but this happens today still in the church. There are those that will take God's principles and make them into rules and regulations and then attempt to live by them and hold everybody else's toes to the line at the same time. That's what the religious establishment was guilty of in Jesus' day. Oh, that we might never go there as a church but that we might remember the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of God that's shown to us through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, watching that Greg Laurie video, I felt led to just say this today. There are those in the religious establishment that will look at a crusade like that with judgmental hearts. And they'll begin to say, oh, that doesn't look right. Or they'll nitpick it and find something that they can have a problem with it about. But you know what? In reality we must remember what it really is. 
It's a spiritual war going on. Satan doesn't want the gospel to get out. He doesn't want those people to have a moment in time when they're confronted with the good news of Jesus Christ and they're presented with the opportunity to make a decision. That's what it is. And, you know, as a Christian, as a pastor, we uh, rejoice in the opportunity to, to, to be a part of it. Thankful that they're coming. I'm thankful that we get to simulcast it here. And I hope that, <clears throat> hope that somebody gets saved that night. That would be so awesome. Here, I mean. I know, I know people are going to get saved. <laughs> but Jewish custom said that you weren't even to greet a leper if you saw him or her. So it's sufficient to say that life was very difficult for this man. Both socially and physically, he was in a desperate place. This helps us to understand why he's doing what he does. You see, it says in our text, this man came to Jesus. He gets down on his knees in front of him in a public place. He doesn't care. He knows that Jesus Christ has something that he needs. And he begins to beg him for healing. Now this is incredible right here. Because it tells us that this man actually has faith. Before Jesus Christ has died on the cross and rose from the grave, he knows there's something about this Jewish rabbi. He somehow has knowledge of who Jesus is. We don't know if it's because he's been watching him, but we know that at the very least, he's heard of what Jesus has been doing. You see, leprosy didn't have a cure in those times. It was an incurable disease. Today, it is curable, although there are still many hundreds of thousands of people around the world that are affected by the disease. But in those times, it was an incurable disease, and many believed that if you had it, you were already dead. Only God could heal leprosy for the Jew. In fact, a healing of a leprous person would have been regarded as equal to raising someone from the dead because essentially they were receiving a new chance to live. That's why this man in coming to Jesus and asking him for healing is demonstrating that he has placed his faith in Jesus as his only hope. Let's watch and see how Jesus reacts to the man who comes and disrupts his daily life by getting on his knees in a public place and begging him to touch and heal. Jesus, in verse 41, moved with compassion, it says, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing. Be cleansed. Notice that he breaks that into two parts there. He says, you know what? First of all, I want you to know something about me and about my heart for you, and it is that I am willing Some of you might need to hear that this morning. Some of you that are religious people that have been raised in the church your whole life. And you have a harsh view of God because you see him as someone who's outside of everything. And he's just there. He's the the cosmic cop, if you you will. And he's just waiting for you to mess up. And then he's going to mess your life up. There are some of you here today that need to hear this who aren't in that place, but you're just in a place of doubting because of circumstances in your life and you're, you're wondering what God's heart is for you in these circumstances. Is he cool with you going through suffering and a tough time? Is he actually, you know, putting this on you because he just likes to do it? 
what we see his heart here. He says, you know what? I am willing. Be cleansed. This gives us insight into the heart of God for the sick and for the suffering. We read that Jesus was moved with compassion. That phrase, moved with compassion, in the Greek language, it's very strong. It means that Jesus was filled with emotion, so much so that it actually moved him in his very heart. It filled him with emotion, and it moved him to do something about it. If you're suffering today, no matter to what degree, did you know that Jesus has compassion for you? He feels what you feel. He knows what you're experiencing, and he's moved by your suffering. And you know what? He even knows what it means to be tempted to doubt God. Because he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He knows your struggle. But Jesus not only suffered with this man in his heart, he has the power to heal. He, he alone stands different and apart from us in that he can do something about this situation. And this fact alone should cause all to seek him above all else in life. This, this compassion that Jesus has, it moves him to do something that no one else would do in his time. You see, often we can have compassion for a sick person, but I don't think we understand the situation here. You see, a man with leprosy in those last stages, his face was rotting. His hands were probably not complete anymore. And as he came there and knelt down before him, it would have been something that would have been kind of atrocious to look at. Now all of us, we feel compassion when we see somebody sick. But I wonder if we would have the courage to reach out our hand and to touch somebody that's totally diseased and rotting in front of us. Jesus did what nobody else would do. He reached out his hand and he touched the untouchable. He reached out to the one who was dying. Now what is so remarkable about this? Well, we learn in the law of Leviticus that basically a leprous person was to be considered unclean like a dead body. And for a Jewish man or woman to touch or come into contact with that person would transfer the uncleanness from that person to themselves. And they would remain ceremonially unclean and unable to enter into worship until at least sunset of that day. And after they had washed with water, their uncleanness or the uncleanness from the sick person or the leprous person would be transferred to them. But here Mark specifically wants us to see this because it shows us something about Jesus. Look at verse 42. It says that as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So this is interesting. Jesus didn't become unclean. Instead of the leper making Jesus unclean, Jesus, the Son of God, makes the leper clean because of his power over sin and death. Now this is new. This is totally different. This is something that is going to change the way that we relate to the Old Testament law. Because when Jesus comes on the scene, he shows us, listen, there's a new order. There's a new order for him who is a child of God, him who is indwelled with the Spirit of God. We now are no longer, you know, to, to fear the unclean. Because Jesus has given us the power that we need to be able to reach out to the hurting world around us. 
Now he alone, Jesus Christ alone, has the power to defeat the uncleanness that is, the, that is caused by leprosy. He alone has the power to save, but he's called us and commissioned us to be a part of that process. Now look at verse 43. It says that he strictly warned him, Jesus, and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. But go your way, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So even though Jesus is changing the way that we relate to the law, he's not abolishing it. He still honors it, showing us that, hey, I didn't come here to abolish the law of God, but to fulfill it, to fulfill it. That would have been a testimony to the priests of his day, because There are no known cases of leprosy being healed in the time there of Jesus and and, and after Naaman from Syria came down and was healed there. And, and, And so this would have been something that in their time was brand new. To see a man who's been totally healed from his leprosy come to the 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 priests there and say, Hey, I'm here to offer the sacrifice of healing for you know being cured of leprosy. And that was all laid out in the book of Leviticus. A lot of people wonder about verse 44 where Jesus charges the man to say nothing to anyone about his healing. Why did he do that? They want to know. Well, listen, there's a very practical reason for that. If you were paying attention last week too, you noticed that Jesus commanded the demon to be quiet as well. The demon is like, hey, you're the son of God. And, and, and Jesus, you know, after he allows him to make that confession, then he says, okay, now be quiet. <laughs> but why did he order the demon to be quiet? And why is he here saying to this, this leper that he's healed? Why is he saying, hey, don't tell anybody about this? Well, there's a very practical reason behind that. You see, the political climate in Jesus' time was very precarious and unstable environment. Rome was in power, but there were many Jews that were looking for a reason to revolt. There was a a political group called the Zealots, and and they were looking for any excuse to go against Rome. And on the other hand, you had the religious Jews that were always looking for their Messiah. And so at any moment, they could have grasped Jesus Christ and made him the political figurehead of their movements and put him at the head of a revolution, which would have caused Jesus to be misunderstood in his mission and his purpose. You see, Jesus shied away from that. He knew what was in the heart of man. And so he knew that that was not where he was going to go. So he shied away from those things. And he wanted them to be quiet. He wanted them to keep it under wraps. Because he wanted to be able to continue to minister and to complete the mission that his father had given them him. So it's for this reason and also because he knew that becoming popular would have hindered his ability to remain incognito and to minister whenever and wherever he pleased. But it's not to be, as we read in verse 45. Look at it again. It says, however, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city but was outside in deserted places and they came to him from every direction. So this man disobeyed. But even though he disobeyed Jesus, Mark doesn't portray this as being something that's evil. He portrays this as being something that's just inevitable. You know, this is just going to happen. It's not something that this guy did with the wrong heart. But even so, it would have been better for Jesus if he would have obeyed. 
you know, sometimes we think we're doing God a favor, don't we? We think we're being a blessing, but maybe we end up being a hindrance instead. I don't know, I'll let the Holy Spirit minister to you on that one. But it is hard to blame this man, isn't it? It's hard to blame him too much, because earlier in the chapter we saw Peter's mother-in-law, after she was healed by Jesus, man, she, she jumped up and prepared a meal and served him out of the, out of the graciousness or the, the gratefulness of her heart. And it's hard to fault this, this man because he too is showing natural gratitude for what Jesus has done in his life. It's a great example of what we are to be like, those of us that have been touched by the Lord. But in this way, we're to follow him. But we come to the end of this beautiful little story here this morning. But we aren't finished with it just yet. As beautiful as it is, we cannot move on from this story until we have first applied it to our own lives. You see, the beauty of this story isn't just found in the amazing change to this man's life, in the newness of life that was brought to him. It's found in relating this story to all of us. We have to plug ourselves into this story. And since the last time I checked, you and I aren't Jesus, we don't really get fit into that role of Jesus Christ very well in this story. But we can identify with the man with leprosy. You see, all of us have a disease like the leper. And like leprosy starts out small, sin over time spreads. Sin, our disease, like leprosy, begins with small compromises, doesn't it? Little things. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. I think I could justify this if I say it this way or put it that way. And those little tiny compromises begin to grow as time goes on. See, Satan is pretty smart. He knows that we're not going to accept him when he walks in. There's a big demon with red horns sticking off his head, roaring like a lion, right? So he comes in subtly, and it begins with a small compromise, and he chips away at the foundation as time goes on. And as he chips away and chips away and chips away, you know what? One day you, look, you wake up and you look back and you go, what? How did I get here when I was there? And it starts out small. And you know what it often starts with? It begins by, a lack of attention to the word of God in our lives. A lack of meditation and a lack of prayer. A lack of bringing ourselves before the Lord Jesus Christ on a daily basis and saying, I need you, Lord. I'm desperate for you. Sin grows until it desensitizes us completely and then it can and will destroy chunks of our lives until we're gone. So what are we to do? Number one, we need to recognize our condition. We need to recognize our condition. Like the leper, we need to realize that we need help. You know, I have no trouble inserting myself into this story because I know who I really am. I know that I am like the leper in the sense that I have an incurable disease called sin. Now, for a time in my life, I lived amongst other lepers just like me. And I had no problem overlooking that. 
and just saying, you know what? <laughs> it's all good. We're all the same. They're, they're, they're no better than I am. And, and in comparing myself to others, you know what? I got comfortable. And pretty soon, I just decided, you know what? I'm not really that sick. I don't really have a problem. I can just make my way through life just like everybody else is and present a false self. I can put up an image of what's really going on. But you know what? We need to come to a place where we recognize our condition. We need to do it before sin destroys. And believe me, that's what sin will do. Secondly, we need to be desperate for help. Now, I don't know how you get to this place. I, I know that the Spirit of God has something to do with it. I know that God is, has to be working in your life And he does that in a number of ways. Maybe you're here today and you're praying for somebody. Know that your prayers are being heard by God Almighty. And he hears your prayer and he's he's working. You may not see the fruit of those prayers for years. But don't give up. Because God is in the process of bringing all of us to this point where we realize that we are desperate for help. It's called being spiritually bankrupt or spiritually poor. Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 5. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It all starts by recognizing that we need help. There's nothing more frustrating to me as a pastor than when I sit down in a counseling session across from another man who doesn't realize that he's dying. When I sit down across from a person who thinks that the problem is with everybody else in the world. That it doesn't have to do with him. And I pray for those men and those women and I pray God bring them to a place where they know that they're the one who desperately needs you to touch their lives. I've been in that spot. I've been the guy that thought everybody else wasn't meeting my expectations. I've been the guy that thought what's wrong with this world, you know? <laughs> but God broke me of that. Thank, thank goodness. My wife says amen right now. <laughs> but the question I have for you today, how far will you go to find healing that you need in your own life, in the life of your family? Are you willing to humble yourself and to bow down before him, even in front of other people if need be? The leper wasn't afraid to do that. He knew what he needed. He was desperate for help. If you're not in that place, then I don't think you've realized your condition yet. Because your sin, like leprosy, has cut off your ability to sense and feel the depth of your sin. You need to have a change of mind. You need to see things from God's perspective. You need to realize that sin destroys You see, this leper knew what he needed from Jesus. He knew that he needed to be touched and cleansed. Listen to this. No matter what you think you need from God today, your greatest need is to be cleansed from selfishness that separates you from God and heaven and eternal life with it. You see, thirdly, this morning, what we need to do is we need to put our faith in Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can save. He alone has power to cure our common disease of sin. And this goes for unbelievers here today, as well as for those who already believe. You see, the good news about Jesus Christ is for all people. It's for all of us. 
So I wrap this up this morning. I want to give you an invitation to come to Jesus. In our scripture today, we've seen this broken and desperate man coming to Jesus because he knew that Jesus had the cure. When we have seen how Jesus responded to this man being moved with compassion, he reaches out his hand and he touches the untouchable and he makes him clean, something that no one else could do or would do. Do you need to come to Jesus today and put your faith in him alone, just like the leper did? Please be mindful and remember that Jesus is here today. The Bible tells us that he gathers in the assemblies of his people. That when you and I gather together to worship God, Jesus Christ walks in our midst. He's with us and his Holy Spirit fills our hearts. He longs to touch you this morning. He's always with his people and he's moved with compassion for the sinner for the man, for the woman who recognizes that they have the disease and need to come to him for the cure. You see, he longs to touch you this morning through the Holy Spirit and through the caring hands of those who are here to pray with you this morning. Jesus is calling you right now as an individual, as a couple, as a family. He wants you to come, and he wants you to be healed. You see, Jesus Christ didn't come to be a political king. He didn't come to set up an army and to take the throne by might and power or by economic weight or political strategies. He's just the king, but he came to die for you. He took your place on the cross. He suffered and died for you. His blood can wash you and make you clean. He's waiting to give new life to those who will come to him this morning. But you have to put feet to your faith this morning. You have to, like the leper, you have to say, you know what, I recognize what's going on here. And I need to be healed. And I'm going to do whatever it takes today to put myself in a position where Jesus Christ can touch me. So I'm going to have the, the guys and the girls come on out. And they're going to sing a song for us. And while they do that, I'm going to ask that we all go ahead and stand to our feet at this time. And I'm going to ask that the prayer teams who are here to minister to the body today, that they would come down to the front right now. Just come on down to the front. Make yourselves available. And I want to invite those that know that, hey, this this is for me. I need Jesus this morning. And I need healing. I need him to come. And I need him to touch me. Through one of these prayer teams That's how Jesus is going to do that this morning. But I also want you to know that this altar is open for any that wants to come and say, you know what, my business is with Jesus Christ alone. I'm going to kneel down right here and I'm going to pray today that Jesus Christ would touch and heal me because I need him desperately. While we're singing these songs, I want you to know that you have to put feet to your faith in order for this to work. Just like the leper who said, you know what, I'm ready. I know what I need, and that's the man that can save me. You have to say, you know what, I'm ready. I'm ready to put feet to my faith. I'm going to come, I'm going to get prayer. So let's do that now. Let's close our eyes and we'll pray. 
And then we'll sing this song. Lord Jesus, we come to you. We thank you for your power to save, for your power to heal. Lord, unlike us, who can be moved by compassion, Lord, we can't do anything about the condition that we have. But Lord Jesus, you can, because you're the king. You're King Jesus. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to hearts of those that know they need to come forward. Believers and unbelievers alike this morning, Lord, that know that they need a touch from you, that know that they need to come and maybe commit their life to you for the first time and say, I believe, I believe in you, Jesus. You're the way, the truth, and the life. I'm committing myself to you. But there are others here this morning, Lord, that maybe they just need to come and they just need you to reach out to them and touch them and pray for them. Lord, I pray that that would happen this morning, that you would give them the faith that they need to make that step and to seek you. Lord, help us to see our desperate situation. In Jesus' name, we ask it. Amen.